This podcast is presented by the Verizon Partner Network. Hello and welcome to Encrypted, brought to you by Verizon. I'm James Kent and joining me today is Christopher Novak. Christopher is the Global Director of the Threat Research Advisory Center with Verizon and he's our resident cybersecurity guru. It's always a pleasure getting Chris's insights on the latest in cybersecurity trends and discussing what's happening out in the world from a security standpoint. And there is a lot going on these days, so I'm super excited to start this conversation. Chris, hello. How are you? What's going on? I'm uh, doing well, James. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure to be here. And uh, there's a lot going on, so I look forward <laughs> to the conversation. <laughs> yes. Uh, so off the bat, I want to know, uh, Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp app, they all went down on Monday, October 4th for over six hours. Uh, Facebook claims it was a self-inflicted problem and not a hack. Uh, but just a day before there was the whistleblower interview on 60 minutes. So, you know, is it a coincidence? I don't know. Do we believe them? Give me your thoughts. Well, I, I, you make a great point there. And it's interesting is from a security background, we are always looking at the potential for there to be a, a hack and attack kind of angle to just about everything. Um, and so naturally, when these big outages occur, especially at big names like uh, Facebook and Instagram or WhatsApp, you know, sites that people think are, you know, it's like the sun, you know, it is always there. And these, <laughs> yes. these services are always online, you know. Um, so when they go down, obviously, they attract a lot of attention. So we definitely looked at it from that angle. But we have no reason to believe it was anything other than what they claimed. Um, the reality of it is, if you operate a large scale network infrastructure environment, or in this case, you know, a lot of very popular apps, you know, there is the potential for there to be outages and especially misconfigurations. You know, a misconfiguration, usually a human error, you know, it can lead to fairly catastrophic failures if there's not the right, you know, checks and safeguards in place. And I think ultimately that is most likely what happened here. We have no um, reason to believe or intelligence that tells us that it was anything of a security nature and that it wasn't just um, a misconfiguration. But obviously, when we see things like this, it also highlights the need for, you know, what are these organizations doing to ensure that, you know, they are operating their systems and their apps in a manner that, you know, keeps uh, keeps them up and, and operational. Well, we'll check back on this in about six months and maybe we'll have to do a follow-up <laughs> sure. one. But, uh, you know, regardless uh, if it was a hack or if it was an internal issue, no matter what, uh, as you just said, you know, it raises an important question. And that is we, uh, from a personal level, are all reliant on certain applications that we use every day on our mobile devices. And do these apps pose risks? Uh, if so, what are the biggest risks we should be worried about and what can we do about it? Sure. Chris? I'm all ears. <laughs> so I, I would say that you're you're absolutely right. You know, there there are risks posed by any app that, that anybody uses. Um, I would say usually the biggest things that are of concern is around things like um, data privacy. It's yeah. what information do you put into or share with the app? Um, I think a lot of people inherently trust their phones and not that there's anything inherently untrustworthy about a phone. Um, but when you start installing all these third party apps that, you know, you know, kind of the, the old, uh, conversation used to be, you know, if you don't need to pay for something, then, then you're the product, right? That's what they would often say. And so, you know, when you look at these apps that are all free, you have to ask yourself, how is it that they make money? And in most of these cases, um, they make money by doing something as it relates to your usage patterns, your data, your preferences, because a lot of it is driven by, you know, marketing and advertising dollars. Um, and so I think, 
there's a lot that, that individuals need to ask themselves when they choose to install an app or interact with an app is, you know, largely around what data about them are they comfortable sharing. And, you know, the, 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 the view of it I always have is, you know, if you're okay with whatever that information is eventually becoming public, whether the organization publishes it or they get hacked and it gets out, you know, think about it through that lens and you may think twice about what kind of information or messages um, you elect to share because there is the potential for what you think is private um, to potentially become public. So I would say that those are probably the biggest things around, you know, the data privacy and the, I think the assumption that a lot of people have that, well, I'm just talking to this person and they're not going to do anything with that information, but that data is also in an app across a network in someone's storage system somewhere. And all of those have risks. Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, we get these agreement statements whenever we install these things and we usually just, you know, how fast can we click? Yes. So that we can get to using it. Um, but you know, the things that you just talked about with data and security brings up the big uh, thing that just happened right before the Facebook, uh, incident that went down a couple of weeks ago. Um, at home one night, uh, and my wife is frantically grabbing all the Apple devices in the home, and, and we have a lot of them. And she informs me we have to update our software right away due to a very serious uh, security risk, which I believe was dubbed CVE-2021-30860. Uh, and I don't want to spoil all the fun here, so <laughs> why don't you explain what cve dash 2021 and five more digits after that is why it's so dangerous. How does something like this get into our devices? And what, if anything, can we do about it besides being vulnerable until it's either too late or we get a software patch? Yeah, great question. So CVE stands for Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures. And typically this is a a label that is given to, you know, it can be a device, a piece of software. Essentially, if you think of it as there is some identified problem that needs to be resolved that could result in, you know, privacy or security issues for the user, kind of almost akin to like you'd think of, you know, if your car was being recalled for a safety issue. You know, this is similar to that for security and privacy as it relates to, you know, oftentimes, you know, software applications and devices. And they're, they're sequentially uh, numbered as they're identified. So that's how the numbering schema works. And ultimately what this one is, the one that you mentioned, um, that one actually goes back to a vulnerability within Apple devices that allows for someone to send you a message and you don't have to do anything with it. Just the fact that they sent the message can exploit this weakness in the device, which then would allow them to be able to do whatever they want. So in this case with these CVEs and in particular, the one that you mentioned, when they take advantage of that, they are typically using that in order to further additional activity. So they get access to your phone and then they may install some kind of malware that collects data or it may collect your phone logs. It may collect your pictures. It could collect really anything that is on or that you use your device for. It can mm -hmm. even do things like listen to your microphone. So if you have your phone just sitting on your desk, it can just be sending whatever audio it hears to somebody anywhere in the world. Same thing with the camera or things that you've already um, done with your device. So that's really where the concern comes in is that you don't even necessarily know that this phone in the room may now be a recording uh, device. And, you know, some people may say, hey, they're not terribly worried about it. They have, you know, nothing to hide. Um, <laughs> I, I would I would bet most people, if they didn't know that their device might be recording them, they might do different things with their devices. Um, and then you also have concerns around, you know, journalists. 
um, activists, people who may be in, you know, particularly dangerous situations from time to time, the ability for their device to be tampered with in that manner, you know, could also present real, you know, serious life and safety concerns. Is there anything, you know, we keep, you mentioned that it has to be a message sent. If, if you were concerned, is there anything that you can look at to say, oh, this must have been the message or is that also very hard to detect? Unfortunately, with some of these, some of them can be very hard to detect. Some of them are actually almost completely undetectable to the random, you know, everyday user, which is unfortunate because usually everyone says, hey, well, what can I do? And in some of these cases, the answer may be you only can wait for the vendor to release an update, which is obviously very unfortunate. What I always encourage people to do is try to stay on the forefront of understanding what these are, right? The fact that your wife um, identified it so quickly and ran around the house grabbing the devices. It's good that she was plugged in and, and understood this was a concern. The first thing you're going to want to look to do when you hear about one of these is identify whether or not the vendor has released a patch or an update, just like a recall for your car. Get it in and get it fixed as quickly as possible. Deploy the patch, and that generally solves the biggest part of the problem. A lot of vendors, if they don't have a patch immediately available, because sometimes it may take them you know, days or weeks to figure out how that problem manifested and then how to fix it. What they will also sometimes do is release workarounds. So they may say, look, while we don't have a patch that fixes this, if you go into settings, click here, click here, and just turn this feature off until the patch is available, you at least won't be vulnerable because most of these vulnerabilities are taking advantage of some feature that if you turn the feature off, you're not vulnerable with that feature disabled. It's just a question of whether or not people feel like they can live without that feature for the period of time until the patch comes out. Another follow-up on that. So say your phone was infected, whether you knew it or not, uh, and you got this recent patch to solve the problem. If you had been infected, would that patch shut that off? Or is your phone, once it's infected, it's still infected? Oh, very good question. So that is going to depend on the nature of the infection, unfortunately. So in a lot of cases, the patch will solve the initial problem. But if someone already exploited the device, then there may be other problems that that come on Mm. from it. And generally, what I would recommend people have in place is some form of like app scanning or antivirus, you know, just like we used to have in the, the, the traditional days of, you know, laptops and desktop computers. You'd have antivirus that would check to see. And the idea there then would be is even if your device was exploited and the patch now makes it not exploitable, it would at least be able to look and see whether or not something else was added to your device that would concern you. One thing I think it's critical to point out here, an attack like this one uh, that happened with Apple costs millions of dollars to develop. And once it's uncovered and the solution is installed, you know, that the shelf life of that attack is pretty limited. That means it's probably sponsored by some pretty deep pocketed cyber actors with a purpose to either target specific individuals. You know, you would just mention journalists or information. Uh, Now that sounds kind of James Bondish to me, but it's actually is the real world. Uh, what is going on behind the curtain of these actions? I mean, who's sponsoring and what are they hoping to gain? I mean, is it that kind of thing with uh, journalists get inside information or, or what other things are happening there? Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say you're, you're absolutely right in that a lot of these are deep pockets. Um, you know, in fact, you know, our research has shown that about 80% of these events are typically by some kind of organized crime group. And if it's not organized crime, then it's, you know, 
possibly a step even further worse, which is nation state actors, which are even further, you know, or, or, or deeper pockets. So you're absolutely right that it takes a lot of effort to, to build these exploits and go after these targets. And I would say that, you know, there are definitely some where the situation is all about, hey, they are exploiting it because they are trying to get an individual or a group. And they are, they feel that the investment or the expenditure or whatever it is that they need in terms of resources is worth that effort in order to stop this individual or this group that may be, you know, opposed to them. And then a lot of it also is financially motivated. So a lot of what we see that comes from organized crime, they're typically doing it not because they care about you or me as an individual. They just look at it and say, hey, we believe we can target bank A, B, or C's application or data. And if we can get this loaded on your phone, we can get access to your bank account or your brokerage or something else of value. And so if they can get access to that, you know, the, another big one that we see a lot is uh, cryptocurrency uh, exchanges. You know, if people can get malware loaded on your phone that can then get your authentication token, they may then be able to get into one of your cryptocurrency accounts, and then they will typically move that. And one of the reasons that is also highly targeted is because it's very hard to reverse. Once it is moved, right. it is very hard to get it back. And I, I know somebody that that happened to. Unfortunate. Uh, you know, Chris, while conversing with you is fun, it's also, it's a little scary. Uh, <laughs> but the fact of life is we, we all rely on our phones for so many things. I mean, it's pretty much a function of our being at this point. Sure. Uh, but it's concerning that while we are doing all of these things with our mobile devices, unbeknownst to us, someone could be taking all of our valuable information and interactions to use for a variety of purposes. And I'm going to bet the farm that none of them are good. Um, so let's bring this discussion to a happy conclusion if we can. Uh, sure. Help me with some other tips and best practices we can do to protect our mobile devices and ourselves from cyber attacks understanding that there may be some that we can't uh, prevent until we get a patch. Sure. Yeah. So I'd say a couple of things that immediately come to mind. One would be avoid rooting your device. Um, so if you're not familiar with that, that is uh, in in Apple terms, it's also called the jailbreaking. And the idea there is right. you, you kind of break out of some of the, the manufacturer's security controls. And by doing so, it allows you to do things with your device that maybe you normally would not be able to do. The downside is if you root the device, you're also removing those protections from you. So if something happens to your device, the security that you would have got by not having rooted it or jailbroken it, you no longer have. So I always tell people, if you don't need to root it for any reason or jailbreak it for any reason, don't because that at least gives you that Apple or Android level of protection that is built in by the vendor that usually does quite well at keeping out a lot of malicious actions. Another one that I always uh, recommend is multi-factor authentication. You know, wherever and whenever you can possibly use multi-factor, you want to try to use it this way. If someone does get access to some of your information or they learn your password, that's not enough for them to get into, you know, your accounts or your devices. I would say another one too that is, is also very important is only installing apps from trusted sources. 
Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned before, not rooting or jailbreaking your device. This kind of goes along with it. You know, Apple has an yeah. app store. You know, uh, Google has the Google Play Store. And there's a handful of others that are very reputable locations in which you can get apps. Now, that doesn't mean that an app still can't have a problem. But it does mean that those vendors who maintain those app stores, they typically are doing some level of scrutiny on the apps that are available in their app stores to ensure that there's a minimum level of risk associated with using them. So I always tell people, try to try to stick to that. There's a lot of places where you can sideload apps or get apps off websites. Um, I would say that you need to be really cautious about that. It's kind of like... The old days of, you know, when you were installing software on your laptop or your desktop, you know, you'd, you'd Google for a piece of software and you could buy it from the vendor or you might see a link here where you can, quote, download it. Now, most of those sites were not legit. They were not legal. And in a lot of cases, you might be able to download a free copy of whatever that software is, but it, be, it, it included malware in the software. And then as a result, you then infected your system. We see the same thing happen in the mobile device world where... If you're not careful where you're getting your apps from, there's the potential you're essentially installing malware on your device for the bad actor. Uh, same thing with like, you know, thumb drives. You know, we always had to be careful about, you know, sticking a, a thumb drive in our computer that we didn't know where it was from because it might have malware. Same thing with getting apps from places that you don't necessarily know uh, or, or trust. And also, I mean... One, two, three, four is probably not a password anyone should use. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think yes. even a, I think you don't need a Whopper computer from more games to figure that out. Um, Chris, any final thoughts on what we've been discussing here today? Anything out there has you concerned? Uh, something we should be talking about in terms of cybersecurity and mobile devices that you don't think we're talking enough about or taking enough precautions to prevent a large scale incident? I mean, I would say, you know, just a, a basic maybe kind of common sense um, recommendation I'd end with is, you know, if you come across something that seems too good to be true, really give it a second look, because a lot of what we find in terms of these exploits, they're taking advantage of the human factor, human behavior. They are trying to entice people with whether it's a get rich quick, install this app and make some money, you know, and they'll, they'll even try to show you proof of, hey, here's all the checks I've cashed. I made millions. All you need to do is do this. And if it seems like it's that good, you know what they say, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Um, you know, the same thing here. You need to be really cautious because most of those are just social engineering angles to get into your device or get into your data. And and you're maybe helping them get rich because they're going to siphon out your bank account. But you're, you're definitely not going to be helping yourself get rich. Agreed. Christopher Novak, the Global Director at the Threat Research Advisory Center with Verizon. It's always a pleasure. Uh, if folks are looking to stay informed on what Verizon's up to in the cybersecurity space, where should they go to learn more? Verizon.com. You can just go there, look at our security pages, and you can learn a lot about what it is that we've been researching and seeing. Um, we also have some monthly webcasts as well on the Bright Talk platform. Feel free to check those out. We talk about kind of new and evolving threats. Everybody's welcome. Chris, thanks again for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, James. And thank you for tuning in to Encrypted, a cybersecurity podcast brought to you by Verizon. Want more great Verizon cybersecurity content? Subscribe to Encrypted on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We have more shows, more guests, and more Chris coming your way in the near future. So be on the lookout for those. Until then, I'm James Kent, staying stay safe, stay secure, and let's talk again soon. 